0: Thank you, we are preaching through the Gospel of Luke, we're in Luke chapter 21, if you're visiting this morning, we'll project some information up on the big screen, but if you've got a Bible, open to Luke 21, we're going to talk about trust this morning. Uh Uh-oh, who's got trust issues? You're in the right place this morning. You are in the right place. At one time or another, we'll all struggle with trust, with worry, with doubt, with fear, with anxiety. The Lord has a word for us this morning. As Pastor Craig said, the word of God is sufficient. Everything we need for life and godliness. And part of life as fallen Human beings who don't know the future, like our omniscient God, we struggle with worry about the future. I want you to th- think about, before we start, the things in your life that you're absolutely sure would be there tomorrow. And the Sunday school answer doesn't count, because we all know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. But we're not going to grow today if we're not honest with ourselves and say, what are those things that we're absolutely certain would be there tomorrow? Uh, One of our elders, Mike Borsier, went to help as a chaplain up north in the fires up in Redding. And I'm sure people who thought their house would always be there. It's been there for generations And people may leave Reading and come back to visit, and there's Grandma's house, been in the family forever. And just like that, gone. Nothing left. And so what are the things in which you put your trust? If it's other than Jesus, it may not be the smartest, wisest idea. So we'll talk about that this morning. Let me read... The scripture's a little context. Remember, Jesus is at the Temple Mount for the Passover, so the place is crowded. Millions of Jews making a pilgrimage to the Temple for the Passover. And he's been having these daily confrontations with the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests. And... They're no longer going to argue with him because he's won every argument. They're trying to argue with God. It's it's futile. It's foolish. And so they're leaving the temple, crossing through the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives. And so they have this glorious view of this amazing edifice built with ivory. And gold plated on its east side. So during the sunrise, the reflection off the side of the temple wall was blinding. The ivory was so white that it was said from far away it looked like a snow-capped mountain. And certainly everyone assumed that if there was anything I can count on tomorrow... Is that the temple will be there. The temple will be there. It took Herod 46 years at this point to build the temple. Foundation stones the size of freight cars. It was considered one of the wonders of the world, and people came from all over, even if they weren't Jewish, to see this amazing building. And so with that as our backdrop, imagine the disciples, the young disciples who, that's all they've ever known is that the temple's been there, sitting up on the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley at this glorious building, and we pick up the story. Luke 21, I'll start with verse 5, and while some were talking about the temple That it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my namesake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And we'll stop there for today. Theologians call this section of scripture the Olivet Discourse because it was given on the Mount of Olives. There's five major discourses or teachings from Jesus and this one is called the Olivet Discourse. Matthew also records the Olivet Discourse in with more detail. So in your studies this week, you might want to look at Matthew's rendering of the Olivet Discourse. But as I've laid the table before we started this morning and asked you, in what kinds of things do you put your trust And here? is this amazing wonder of the world, built with human hands, supposed to be a monument to the glory of God, unshakable, unmatched by any other building. It was supposed to represent God's glory, and people came and gathered and brought their sacrifices to remind them of God's mercy and their need for atonement. But it had become a robbers den, Jesus said. It became a place where men put them their trust in themselves and in their own good works, the opposite of what it was intended to symbolize. God's glory had left the temple a long time ago. We Read about that in the prophet Ezekiel. What's interesting is that we could say God's glory returned to the temple in the person of Jesus Christ. God incarnate. God's glory in the temple. And the religious leaders didn't recognize God's glory. Arguing with Jesus. Turning people's hearts away from Jesus. And they had Jesus in their midst. The glory of God. They were in the presence of God's glory. And now, just like the book of Ezekiel, God's glory has left the building. And in fact, when Jesus exits the Temple Mount, He exits in the exact same place that God's Shekinah glory exited the temple in the book of Ezekiel. A lot of continuity there. We would call that uh, a, a type of what was to come. A shadow of what was to come. And the, the, the incarnate Christ comes. The glory of God embodied in the temple. And he leaves the temple mount and takes his disciples with him. He's up on the Mount of Olives and he says, Hey, that thing you're marveling at, that thing... You're in awe of it's coming down. Don't put your trust in a building. And don't put your trust in the religious system that is housing, being housed in that building. It's coming down. And God and his great love for us and jealous of his own glory in a good way. If God was jealous of anything other than his own glory, it would be sinful. He will tear down the things in our life that we have made into idols for our good, for his glory. He wants us to put our trust completely in him. So point number one, we cannot put our trust in things that are temporary. So, well, yeah, I got that. Let's move to point number two. No, we need to hear that because we've got it and then we'll leave this building and we'll all put our trust in something other than Jesus this week. Inevitably. We cannot put our trust in things that are temporary. Oh, there's there's a temporal kind of trust. You can't live life without trusting in certain things, but you can't trust in temporary things for eternal purposes. I'm not saying this morning, well, you really can't trust another human being. Well, that's not going to work out well for you. But you can't trust another human being for your eternal happiness unless that human is the God-man, Jesus Christ. You have to put a certain amount of trust that when you get into your car and turn it on, it's going to go, and people are going to obey the traffic rules. like They're actually going to stop at that red light, and you can just go through the intersection. So yeah, we need a certain amount of trust, but it's when we begin to place eternal trust in temporary things, that's the problem. Must have been absolutely shocking for the disciples to hear their Lord say, That building, it's coming down. It's it's coming down. You know, why and how is that even possible? The second point this morning is that because we can't put our trust in temporary things then we become eager to know the future. Well, if that might not be here tomorrow, what will be? What, what can I trust in? What's going to happen? Tomorrow, next week, next year. Do you hate those interview questions? Where's your life five years from now, ten years from I don't know. I've stopped asking that question. If you asked me 30 years ago, I'd be standing in this pulpit. I'd laugh at you. But you wouldn't hear my laughter because everyone around me would be laughing. Yet here we are. And so we're eager to know the future. And so the disciples ask, Teacher, When, therefore, will these things happen? Now, remember, what are they expecting? They've been following Jesus as a political Messiah who is going to overthrow Rome, set up the kingdom that the Old Testament has promised, and then they would get to reign with Christ. And at this time, they're still fighting over who's going to get to sit at the right hand and who's going to sit at the left It was not on their radar that the temple was going to be destroyed. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? You want to know the future. I want to know the future. Think about how much time we spend trying to figure out the future. How much money. How much resources. Entire careers are built around predicting the future. If you're into mathematics or science, that's all about predicting the future. Well, if it happened again and again and again and again, then we can be reasonably certain that it will happen that way in the future given the same conditions. Most of what I teach in mathematics, when you... Get into higher algebra, you're looking at functions, which are just ways of quantifying our world, setting it to some equation and saying, hey, the, the world seems to behave in this way, and we graph it out and we say, well, if it keeps behaving in that way, we would expect, and then we can plan for the future. In a certain sense, God has made our world somewhat predictable and yet entirely unpredictable at the same time. Now, if I lost you with the mathematics and the science, you have your own ways of predicting the future. Intuition. I got a, I got a strong feeling about this. Drives your mathematically minded Better half nuts. I need something a little more than your intuition here. The entire insurance industry exists because of an uncertain future. Then they come in and tell you, but if you trust us, we can make your future certain. Wait a minute. You got me to not trust in the future, so I'll give you my money, but why should I give it to you? We put our trust in pension plans and retirement funds. For some people, they look to things like astrology or psychics or palm readers figure out the future. It just tells you that it is universal human nature to want to know the future. It leaves us anxious. I don't know what's going to happen. And so we make a deal with God in our hearts. And we say, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I deserve this kind of future. That. I should be able to count on these things. But God does give us promises about the future, such as there will be suffering. You say, well, that wasn't in the cards. It's not what I designed for my future. That wasn't the deal I made. there will be persecutions not if there will be persecutions there will be suffering and certainly there will there'll be death and taxes right or taxed to death i think about 911 and the Buildings that were attacked and what they symbolized. You understand, each one was symbolic of a certain institution in our country. And the attack was designed to erode our trust in our financial institution, the Twin Towers. Our military, the Pentagon. Our government that plane was either headed for the white house or or the congress were not for todd beamer and his brave followers and even the fact that airplanes were used hey we're americans we can go anywhere we want whenever we want it was all designed to erode our trust in the system and what man intends for evil, God can use for good. And we needed our trust eroded in those systems. And people went to what building after 9-11? The church. And six months later, we'll just build a bigger building. It's so Tower of Babel, you know. And so you and I put our trust in things that we shouldn't, our ultimate trust, and then it lets us down, and we learn our lesson for a little while, and then we go right back to putting our trust in things that cannot guarantee our future. That we're eager to know. And because we're so eager to know and it leaves us so unsettled about the future, Jesus warns to be careful about wanting to know the future. Because it leaves us vulnerable to deception. And the worst deception of all is self deception He says, see to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. There's one example. This is specifically about the second coming. He's back. He's here. I am he. There will be antichrists posing as Christ. There will be false prophets saying, the time is near. False prophets like Harold Camping, remember that guy? Sell everything. Maybe not so easily mocked. How many listen to Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth? People ought to know better. Jesus himself said, I don't even know the time. It's not for the Son of Man to know. But I am coming back, so you can take that to the bank. And we would say, well, when? And he doesn't tell us when. And you need to trust God in that. Because you know what you would do if you knew when. You'd procrastinate and then maybe a week out or some of you a month out or maybe even a year out. And if he wasn't returning in your lifetime, then somebody else's problem. Kicked the spiritual can down the road, as it were. Remember what Jesus said When someone in the crowd wanted to know, Hey, what about those people who went to the temple to bring their sacrifices and they were slaughtered on the way to the temple? Were they unrighteous? They just looked righteous because they were going to make sacrifices, but they were really unrighteous. And the proof of it was that they were slaughtered right in front of the temple. And Jesus said, if you don't repent, you too shall perish. And he says, what about those people killed by the tower of Siloam? So he plucked a story right out of the current news. Right right off of Fox News. Or CNN, whatever you're bent. Were they any worse sinners than anyone else that day? He says, I tell you no. Unless you repent, you too shall perish. Not to say they perished because they wouldn't repent. He's saying death is imminent for all of us. Whether it's a tower falling on you or a nice, sweet, peaceful, didn't wake up. That you can take to the bank. So what are you doing about that? Forget about all these other things you're worried about. What are you doing about that? Because that is certain. Point number four. Do not fear then when the world seems out of control. From our perspective, the world looks out of control. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus says, Hey, when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. That's a strange statement. I haven't seen a war up close. I'm a fortunate American. I hope my children don't have to see a war up close. My dad saw the Vietnam War up close. But he didn't want his children to have to see. It seems cool when you're young to play soldier, run around with guns, and we love to watch movies with war, whether it's old-fashioned Lord of the Rings, Knives and swords and arrows or modern warfare. But war is hell, is it not? Is that the saying? And he says, don't be terrified. Don't worry. Don't fear. What? Why not? For these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. As one commentator put it, there's only been about 250 years of recorded human history where there was not a major war going on. The lack of wars is is rare. War is the normal state of human existence in a fallen world. It's not normal in the sense that it's the way God originally designed his world. But since the fall, since Genesis chapter 3, war has been the norm. So don't be terrified. He said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And every generation thought the war that was going on signaled the end. We have to be careful, as one commentator put it, the arrogance of my generation. Something horrible going on in my generation. Oh, this has got to be the end. It's never been this bad before. Have you read about the plague? Yeah, world wars. Have you read Revelation? it gets really really bad really really bad then he'll come then he'll come so jesus is alluding to that which daniel speaks of the 70th week of daniel the great tribulation be wars like no one has ever seen before that's terrifying but in the meantime, don't, don't be terrified. Don't assume this is the end. I loved a story I read from a commentator who said, a member of his flock, when the recession hit seven, eight years ago, half of his 401k was wiped out. And he said, Jesus has to be coming back. And he said, shame on you. you think that's the sign? The majority of the world lives in poverty every day. You're just going to have to take a few less vacations in your retirement. That is not the sign that Jesus is coming back. You'll know if you're here. It will be so obvious. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Great signs from heaven. Not the kinds of things that people try to read the tea leaves and say, I think I've got it all figured out, got the end times all figured out. Remember, God once flooded the entire earth. Now there's a sign. And people ignored that warning. And so the Bible tells us people will ignore the signs. But we're not to ignore the signs, we're to deal with this coming judgment. We're to deal with it now and not wait. Is your heart settled before the Lord that I know my future and it's secure in Jesus' hands? Wouldn't you like to not fear the future, to not be anxious about the future? As long as you're focused on the temporal events, the material things, the things that will pass away, you will constantly be in worry. And Jesus says, worry about the most important thing. And he's got that taken care of. So, point number five, do not worry if you belong to Jesus. He tells his disciples. It's not like the story gets better for them. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Not what they were expecting. That was not the script. You have your script too. I have my script. And then God changes the script. But you know what? He didn't change the script. You and I had the wrong script. We're not the author. We're not the director. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. If you follow me and call yourselves disciples of Christ because of my name, this is the life that awaits But don't worry. This will result in your being witnesses to them. It's a good thing. How else are you going to get an audience with kings and governors and synagogue leaders? This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. I borrowed from the NIV there but make up your mind not to worry about what you're going to say First of all you don't even you and I don't even know if we'll ever face that kind of persecution There's a good chance it can happen I read that our Brother in Christ in Colorado, the cake baker, is being persecuted again. They're after him again. And so we lift him up in prayer and we stand beside him. It's really amazing that Colorado got hit before California. For I will give you words of wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. He doesn't say, I will deliver you from your circumstances. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Got me thinking about any time we know a difficult conversation is coming and how much time we spend worrying trying to come up with the dialogue well i'll say this and then they'll probably say this and then and then i'll say this that's scenario number 1 scenario number 2 and we try to go through every possible contingency and sometimes we get so worried we never have the conversation and when we do it never goes according to your script. And you got yourself all worked up for nothing. Or you ended a relationship because you didn't want to have the conversation. You were afraid. You worried so much and assumed the worst. And maybe even in your mind, started treating that person as if they said all the things that you assumed that they would say when you had the conversation. So, in this particular case, Jesus says, Don't worry. Make up your mind not to worry about what you'll say. I'll give you the words. I think we can take that principle into less threatening situations. Although I think for some of you, standing before kings and governors sounds a lot better than that person you've been avoided. Instead, we can trust God for the future. I will pray. I will meet with this person. I will assume the best. Love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. I will confess my sins. I will expect grace and I will offer grace. We'll have a nice conversation. And it probably won't go at all like I thought it would. And if it does... Worrying about it didn't change it. I hate quoting Woody Allen from the pulpit, but I'm pretty sure it was Woody Allen who said, I try not to worry about the future because if it happens, I have to live it twice. And if it doesn't happen, then I had to live something that wasn't ever going to happen. Instead of quoting Woody Allen, (laughs) Jesus says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right from the Sermon on the Mount? Point number six, worry never accomplishes good. Oh, it accomplishes something, but it's not good. Worry never accomplishes good. Unless the worry drives you closer to Jesus. And that's where our uncertainty about the future should drive us. I'm not saying this morning to never worry or get rid of worry. That would be foolish and impossible. To live is to worry. We don't know the future. We're not omniscient. But our God knows the future. He is the future. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And what he's told us about the future, we can take to the bank. And the things he hasn't told us about the future, we don't have to worry about it. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. It won't even turn out the way you thought it was going to. It doesn't mean don't plan where to be good stewards. God's given us insight. He's told us in the Proverbs, right? Consider the ant you sluggard who prepares for the winter. He's given us a certain ability to predict the future with some degree of certainty, but not absolute certainty. He's promised us that when we wake up in the morning, the planets will still be spinning, and the sun will rise, and His mercies are new each morning. So then what do we do when we worry? Because you're going to worry. If if you don't worry ever, please come see me so I can check your pulse. I know some are more prone to worry than others. We have prayer warriors in our church and, and just prayer warriors. Their prayers don't really sound like prayers. It's a list of worries. And the prayer doesn't help them. It just makes them more worried. And if I don't pray for all these things, something bad's going to happen. What if I live, leave something off the list as if you've become the sovereign? So, how do we deal with worry? I bet many of you have this scripture memorized on my way over this morning I put in a old seeds of faith c d in my car it's it, it's it's for children it's scripture set to catchy music, but I don't know why it has to be for children so normally I memorize things in the n a s b but the CDs and the NIV, so this is the version I've memorized. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, God, God, there's got to be some things I can be anxious about. There's a, a, a lot of unknowns out there. A lot of bad things can happen to me. Do not be anxious about anything. So that's it. Just, Just stop it. Just don't be anxious. What kind of counsel is that? No, but in everything, all those things you're concerned about, God knows about them, by prayer and petition. And here's the key, with thanksgiving. Well, how am I going to be filled with thanksgiving when I'm worried? I think you're on something now. You're focused on the things that are hard to be thankful for because they're the things that haven't happened yet. So by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you start your prayers with thanksgiving and adoration. And The bigger God gets in your mind, the smaller your problems get. Thank Him for who He is and that there's no... Shadow of turning with him, that he never rests or slumbers, that he's always on the job, that he cannot lie because he is truth, that his promises are sure, that he is unshakable, that when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. When he says, Go and make disciples, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age, he's there. And you can be thankful for these things. And then present your request to God. And it helps put our problems in perspective. And I'm not downplaying your problems. You've got some big ones, I've got some big ones too. But our biggest problem is our sin. And He's taken care of that, it is finished. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Wow. As the wife of one of my seminary professors said to him when he was bogged down with worry, knock it off, you're not going to hell. Like sometimes we need that rebuke spoken in love. Or when the great fiery confident reformer Martin Luther was mired in depression and pessimism. His wife showed up wearing all black in mourning attire. And Martin Luther said, Oh, I've been so preoccupied. Who died? Don't you know? God did. The way you're living and the way you're acting and it helped snap him out of his depression and his worry. Bring your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, or surpasses all understanding, meaning you can't explain it in human terms. Because you've been looking for the peace that can be explained in human terms. I'll find peace when I have security about my future financially, about my relationships, about my house, my car, my job, my church, My city, my state, my country, the world, everything's falling apart. (laughs) How quickly we fall into anxiety. God becomes tiny and your problems look overwhelming. God has given us prayer and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to reorient our view. And when God is really big, The things we worry about, not so big. Not so big. This shalom peace cannot be tied to some human explanation because it is not bound up in material things or ways for us to control our future. This kind of peace is bound up in a person. The person and work of Jesus Christ. The finished work. That He is risen. That He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That He is making intercession for the saints even now. That He has gone before us and He has prepared a place for us. And that all the spiritual blessings are laid up for us and are so sure that the Bible talks about them in the past tense. You already have them. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places if that is where you're putting your trust for your future. And only if that is where you're putting your trust for your future. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Stirred but not shaken. I got more laughs second service, thank you. Bunch of heathen watched James Bond movies. <laughs> so right, the holy people are at first service. <laughs> or they were half asleep. So, It's the sweet surrender to the perfect will of a perfectly loving God that will bring you the peace you are looking for. If you came here this morning with worries, you can cast all your burdens on Jesus, leave him at the foot of the cross, knowing your future is secure. No one can pluck you from the Father's hand. If God not sparing his own son, how much more will he give us all things we need for life? If he's taking care of our greatest worry, then we can trust him for all the rest. And so, s- some questions. What do you worry about? Like, literally, like this week, kind of think through the list. This, this isn't like, what are you worried about? No, like, what, what do you actually worry about? Everybody worries about something. What are you currently worried about? When do you tend to worry? Do you see patterns in your life? It's not sinful to worry. Jesus worried in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did he not? He worried so much that he sweat drops of blood. But how did he handle his worries? Did he doubt God's plan? Did he doubt God's goodness? No, he said, what? Thy will be done, not mine. I trust you. And he knew what the outcome was going to be. He knew he was going to rise. He told everyone he was going to rise, but he was still worried, but not sinfully. As Hebrews says, tempted in every way, but without sin. So we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. Don't be ashamed to go to Jesus and say, I'm worried. He understands. Have you sweat drops of blood? He was worried because he had to face the wrath of the Father. And because of those drops of blood that eventually would be his spilt blood for you and I, we don't have to worry about facing the wrath of God. In being abandoned or forsaken. and So we can take our worries to Jesus. Have you been obedient to Jesus and brought your worries to God? While giving thanks to him. I'm currently worried about this Lord. But thank you so much. For being a good God. For loving me completely and perfectly. And promising to never abandon me. And preparing a place for me in heaven. I feel better already. (sighs) Don't just bring your worries and bring a worry list to Jesus. He says, bring your requests to God with thanksgiving. If you don't know how to do that, come talk to me. If you don't know that your future is secure in Christ, come talk to me. Why would you leave here without knowing? You can know today. You can know today. Maybe you're not worried and you should be. Because you've got it all figured out. Why should I be worried? (laughs) A haughty spirit goes before a fall. Come talk to me. But if you're just worried and you're ashamed of your worries, don't let Satan tempt you in that way? We all worry. We probably worry about a lot of the same things. So come, talk to one another, share our burdens, pray for one another. Maybe there's something we can do physically to alleviate some of that burden, but certainly we can lift each other up in prayer and Praise God together in the midst of our worries. Not try to find a life without any worry. That's in the life to come. Can't wait for that. But until that day, Jesus said there will be troubles, but he is with us. Amen? Thank you, Father, for giving us Jesus that our future is secure I pray for those who do not have this peace that passes all understanding Lord that they would trust in Jesus for their future and their everything for those currently bogged down with worry Lord I pray that you will teach them to go to you And cast their burdens on you with thanksgiving. And you will restore the joy of their salvation. And you've said that the world will know your disciples by the way we love one another. But they will also know your disciples by the way we handle uncertainty. Do a work in our hearts that can only be explained by you. So you get all the glory and you draw all men to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.